0: Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're ready to get a clue about investing and take charge of your financial future, this episode is for you. Before you sink a dollar into the stock market, you need to know author Susan Lawbox' Seven Rules to Invest Effectively and Make Your Money Grow. You're listening
1: to Millennial Money with award winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Come to Game where we flip the script on the old-school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado.
2: It's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. But if you're looking for pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and use LT23 to get 20% off your first order. That's 20% off your first order, American-Giant.com, code LT23.
0: Welcome back to the show. It is so good to have you here. You know, sometimes someone comes along and you just feel an instant connection to them. Have you ever had that happen? It's really cool. Susan is like our resident grandma, I hope she doesn't mind me calling her that, who knows a lot about investing. She's a former Wall Street stockbroker and financial educator, and she's taught several levels of investment education to students everywhere from 18 to 74. And Better Investing Magazine called her previous book the most well-rounded source of basic stock information and education. So, Susan knows what she's talking about when it comes to investing. In this episode, Susan is sharing learnings from her recent book, Rumpelstiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. This book is amazing. It's told through these entertaining retellings of fables and fairy tales that you already know by heart. But Susan helps really demystify the world of investing and teach you seven powerful rules of investing that are gonna serve as a foundation for going forward. So it's just a really interesting way to teach you about investing. When somebody like Susan comes on the show, I listen up because I know that she has decades of advice that I really wanna know. She's been in this business a really long time and to be successful for this long, she's just got some teachings that I think are really, really important. You'll learn more about these seven investing rules, you'll get a look at what it was like to be a female stockbroker before there were female stockbrokers, and you'll understand how to never pay too much for a company's stock, and just so much more in this interview. I'm Shauna Compton-Game, this is Millennial Money, and I'm so excited to bring you this conversation. Here we go. Well, Susan, I am so, so thrilled to have you join us on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
2: My pleasure, believe me.
0: I don't normally start out with sharing someone's story, but I think it really makes sense here. From what I know, you spent 15 years in the investment business as a stockbroker, broker trainer, and in 2006, you actually returned back to your original career in theater. You've written and performed on off-Broadway, television, film, all sorts of things. You've written a couple of books. You wrote a book called The Whole Kit and Caboodle, A Painless Journey to Investment Enlightenment, which sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And your your new book, Rumple Stillskins Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. So tell us a little bit about this career going from originally in theater to stockbroker. What was this like?
2: Well, I was in theater for a very, very long time, Uh, managed a theater. Um, I was a uh, a resident uh, actor um, and resident playwright. Uh, And then uh, it became clear that equity pay wasn't going to put my kids through college. So uh, I changed careers and uh, went into briefly in the insurance business and then switched over to the investment business and was hired as a stockbroker. And I did that uh, as you mentioned for the next, uh, at least 15 years. Um, then I, I did quite a few years, uh, evaluating portfolios after that, which I probably didn't mention in the bio, but, uh, yeah, that, and then now I'm back in the theater again. Now I'm, I'm back, uh, playwriting and writing my books and, um, and, uh, educating people, uh, uh, for their finances. And that's what the book is meant to do.
0: Isn't it amazing how life journey, how it, it, it bobs and weaves. Nobody has a yeah. straight line story, which I think is so cool.
2: Yeah. Well, your, your story is very interesting too. Uh, but the thing is mine is sort of this through line of, uh, uh, communicating, educating. I mean, when, you know, playwriting is really, in a sense, educating as well, certainly communicating. Um, but that's, that's sort of uh, what I've always been doing, no matter what form it's been taking. But this latest um, book, uh, and I had written children's books prior to the uh, Kitten Caboodle book, I had, and I wrote a travel book also. I had written seven books prior to this. Uh, but this one came about, uh, Shannon, because you and I know that there are a lot of people who are just terribly fearful of getting into the market, putting themselves in the hands of a stockbroker that they don't know or uh, for one reason or another. They're just not ready to get started because they feel unschooled in what's ahead. And uh, so uh, since I have taught many, many adults and a lot of people who are in this situation, I realized that... Um, people really don't remember stuff that in general kind of bores them. And yeah, you know, uh, unless it's uh, told in a story form. Uh, So um, I thought that if I would write, if I would embed these things that I think are absolutely necessary uh, for a person considering investing in the stock market, if I would embed them in uh, sort of retold fairy tales that are pretty silly, I will admit um and I hope they make people smile if not laugh out loud uh and and by embedding them in these stories i'm hoping that it will be much more memorable that they'll they 'll think back on these rules and and uh I, I call them rules. They're things that I think are very necessary. And um, I'm, I'm not sure you you know what the rules are. Do you have a, have a list of them? There? I
0: have a list of the seven rules, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So yeah. I would love to walk through uh, at least a few of them because I yeah. think they're really amazing. And number one is just slow but steady wins the race. And I think it's really interesting. I'd love your perspective because... I know a lot of the younger generations right now are kind of hoping that they do the get rich quick scheme when it comes to investing. And some people have made a lot of money in a really short period of time, but it normally does take many, many, many years for your portfolio to grow. So tell me about being slow but steady.
2: Well, uh, going back to what you say about getting rich quick, um, quickly, um, the uh, issue with that is that's not investing. I mean, investing implies that you, you're you putting something in something and you're looking for it to grow and over time uh, to pay back, to vest. Um, and slow but steady wins the race, I tell through the story of the turtle and the hare and uh, how Tom the turtle wins the race. And uh, he um, has learned from his father that uh, he is a turtle and he's therefore slow and he has to he learned that he has to just get started and keep going no matter what uh, stands in the way and if he does that he'll win the race and um in my little story uh, he wins a lot of money and he puts it in the stock market and by being slow but steady um he makes a lot of money so uh that's my slow but steady story and uh, the other thing I would say is uh, you got to get started. <laughs> you got to get started. And uh, it, it, the the problem I think with a lot of kids is that they don't get rich overnight. Um, they think it can't be done, or they maybe they lost their first little tiny nest egg by trying to do it overnight, and so they stand back and think I'll do something else. You know, um, but uh if if you adhere to these rules and ask these questions and then you say i'm going to start small and i will put it into i will put my money into something in which i uh, am pretty sure has a good chance of being a long term growth company um and i'll see what happens And if I feel good about it, I'll put more money in. And if the market tanks on me, which you and I know happens, uh, then I'll buy more. And in that sense, and if we're talking about young people, if we're talking about people who are in their twenties, they just got out of college, or um, or even older people who have never had any money but they inherit it, or they you know get a a divorce settlement or something like that, um, they. The young people really do have years and years and years to watch this, you know, and this is the time for them to start in, uh, to get started and then slow but steady and win the race.
0: So why do you think investing is, it's obviously something that we know we need to do, but why do we wait or why do we feel intimidated?
2: I think it's because there's so much jargon in the business And um, there are so many, pardon me, stockbrokers who talk too fast (laughs) and and they put people off. They make people feel dumb. Uh, Shannon, between you and me, they make make women feel dumb a lot of times. And then the women are just not going to go there. They're going to go, you know, put their money in the bank and watch it not grow at all. Um, And... So I think that the problem has to do with the way the business has been communicated. Warren Buffett's a wonderful guy to uh, read and follow because he talks very simply. Uh, and he says things very straightforward. Uh, for example, in this uh, you know great run-up on the market, um, he's, he said during the last run-up, that he's just waiting for the tide to go out and see who was swimming naked. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, he talks like that and he makes things very, very easy to understand for people. Um, uh, So it doesn't need to be uh, complicated, but you look at the business page or you watch one of these, uh, you know, business programs and you can get very confused just by the language that is used. So having had to learn uh, this business coming from theater, where I knew nothing, nobody I knew knew anything. Um, I had never invested. I didn't know the difference between a stock or a bond, believe it or not. Uh, And so I remember the learning process very well and how hard it was and where the roadblocks were. So that's why I think I'm a good teacher. It was uh, interesting because I went to work for the oldest investment banking firm in the Western Hemisphere and indeed the third oldest in the entire world. And I was only the second woman they had ever hired. Wow. Yeah. And uh, they told me that the first woman hadn't worked out all that well. And I thought that was hilarious. That was like saying you'd read a book, but you didn't like it. So you were never going to read a book. I, just, I, I was dumbfounded by that comment. But they hired me because uh, I think at the time Goldman had been sued by some women. And I think that, they, that, that my fine company, I and mean, it was truly a fine company, Just didn't want to have the attention uh, that not having any women might bring. So um, I I think that's why I was hired. And I knew some people who were partners in that in that fine company, and um, and I I got the job, and I more or less learned on the job because once they hired me, they thought, well, that's enough. (laughs) <laughs> to go learn the difference between a stock and a bond. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I really loved that company. It was Alex Brown and Sons. And it was just, it was an absolutely wonderful, high quality group of gentlemen, just fine gentlemen. In fact, they had a, they had a sobriquet. They were called the gentlemen of Wall Street. So I sort of blew that when I came in. didn't include me in that, but.
0: That sounds like that could be a whole play you could write.
2: <laughs> well, I did include the whole thing in one show that I, one play that I wrote, because the hiring process was really sort of funny too. But, um, but anyway, all the the whole time that I was uh, brokering, I was also teaching. Uh, I was teaching investing, and uh, to that end, um, I wrote the first uh, book, and now I've written this second book. And I'm very interested in in your uh, listeners uh, knowing about it. And I really appreciate your talking to me about it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I want to, I'm going to skip around on a a couple of these seven rules. I want to talk about uh, number three, because I think this one's really interesting, the difference between a loaner two and an owner of a company. Talk to me about that.
2: Well, uh, you know uh, a loaner when you loan a company or an entity money, um, you are in fact buying a bond which will pay you interest and that's um, a fixed income uh, that you receive as interest payments. And then at the end of the time period for however long you have loaned the entity your money, um, you will get your money back. you will get it back provided you invested or rather you loaned your money to a, a company or an entity of high quality. And th- that's not investing. That's a loan. You don't own anything of that company. In fact, they have borrowed money from you. Uh, the owner of a company is an investor. As a stock owner, you are an investor and an owner of a piece of that company. and. And then, you know, I I used to say to people, you own the company. Do you want them to sell cigarettes or liquor? Or, I mean, is there something in your value system that says this company might not be the right fit for you? You've got to know that sort of stuff. But you may find out that it's investing in something you have no interest in uh, and really disapprove of. But you are an owner. (music)
0: That's Q-U-I-N-C-E com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information the only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and enter code ETM at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E.com slash ETM. Go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisdurfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily True Crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts,
2: and remember, stay safe algorithms can do so much more than control social media feeds. In fact, they have the power to save lives and improve our health. At the Weizmann Institute, Professor Yonina Eldar has pioneered innovative algorithms that optimize MRI scans and make ultrasound devices more portable, affordable, and accessible. Professor Eldar's lab develops AI tools that can pave the way to new technologies that can see, hear, and communicate beyond existing limits. Learn more at Celebrating Great Minds.
0: I think that's really important to think about because especially now with technology, it's very easy to feel disconnected if let's say I buy a share of I'm just picking something out of the blue, Amazon or Apple or whatever it might be. I I, I almost don't feel like I'm an owner, but I think that's important to think about. Do I actually agree with these, this company's policies? Do I like what they sell, et cetera, et cetera, because you are in fact an owner.
2: That's exactly right. And the problem with conglomerates and with, um, companies that are enormous with many, many, uh, small Companies within them is that you might love half of what they do and disapprove of the other half, and then you just have to sort of make up your mind. <laughs> what if, what if you think the good they do outweighs the bad they do. That um, certainly would be the case uh, with Amazon, which I absolutely love, and I'm a big customer of Amazon and an investor. And the 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 thing with uh, conglomerates. I shouldn't really mention a name, but the thing with conglomerates is that it makes it much more difficult for you to know um, what, what they uh, own. And so I suggest strongly uh, value line. Um, value line will give you all the information you need to have. To see if this company has the right value system for you, um, if you're, I'll I'll go through what Value Line is because I'm sure you yeah. know about it. Um, you can most business libraries have a subscription to Value Line. Uh, it is a uh, an independent company with ninety industry analysts, all very highly thought of and all independent uh, of any outside influence. And they cover a, a vast number of companies within a very large portfolio of industries. Um, they, they come out every 13 weeks with a whole new um, uh, uh, variety of uh, reports. And you can go to those reports in your library. You can also, of course, subscribe to it on your own online or they'll send you uh, hard copies. Uh, and you can get all the information you need to know what companies what what businesses these companies are in, how much is institutionally owned, what the earnings estimates are, what the past numbers are. it's it's very, very informative. In fact, I gave a class on how to read value line and uh, I, I just think it is so uh, important. it's it's one of the well, it is the best, research tool that I know an independent uh, investor can have.
0: Wow. Okay. That is an amazing tip.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I want to talk about number five, because I think this is oh, yeah. <laughs> something that a lot of people are uh, not sure how to think about this one. It's never paid too much for shares of a company stock. How... In the world, do we know if we're paying too much?
2: Okay, that's um, that's a little more complicated an answer. So, um, let me know if I'm if I'm too confusing on this. It's called the PEG ratio, and that is the PE price divided by earnings. The PE uh, equal to or less than the growth rate in those earnings. So I'll just give you an example. Let's say that um, company A is priced at $10 a share and it is expected to earn $1 this year. You know, that would be divided amongst all the shares. So the price earnings ratio, $10 divided by the, the $1 is 10 so you would not want to pay a higher PE than the the rather the growth rate. Um, I, I skipped a step. The PE is 10. So now you need to find out what the anticipated growth rate in that $1 is for the future. You can find that out by looking at value line. And there are other services that do um, estimates, uh, company estimates, uh, and can be found on Google. Find out what they are expected to earn next year, the year after, perhaps a three to five year outlook, which is what Value Line does. And if the three to five year outlook is that they will earn or they will grow, rather, by at least 10% that's the growth rate, at least 10%, then you're paying the right price if you pay $10. If if the stock is $30 and it's only earning $1 and it's only growing at 10%, that's way overpriced. Now, there's one thing about stocks that are way overpriced. Sometimes they always are, and I don't mean just in this last flashy tech, you know, bubble. Yes. Uh, if they are always selling at a premium price, that says that the institutional community, those people who buy for very large portfolios, believes that this company is worth a premium multiple. That this company is has such a solid balance sheet, and they're eight plus rated uh, by the rating uh, services that they will earn a premium PE, premium multiple, multiple and PE, are the same things. Here I am speaking in a in, uh, jargon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. But So the PEG ratio, or PE equal to or less than the growth rate, PEG, is a way to determine whether... The price is too high. Uh, it, so there were years, believe it or not, in my long career, when the price, when the P.E. was less than the growth rate. And wow, what a pleasure it was to find something like that. Um, if you then went through and did the research and found out that they weren't expected to go bankrupt in the next 30 days. Uh, but um it, 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 did I make that clear, or was yes. that just way too? Expensive?
0: No, no, that was that was very clear. Uh, so, how do you know then? Let's say you found a good stock and you realized it's not overpriced. Is there a simple or sort of simplistic way to figure out when do I sell that?
2: Well, you're investing. Remember, you have made your choice carefully. You have determined that this company is worth owning. Uh, therefore the reasons to sell don't have to do with the fact that they went up that's what you wanted it to do now there are people who have to sell to pay for their college tuition or they want to go buy a house or you know one of those reasons uh then you may decide not to sell that wonderful stock but to borrow against it which you can do you can borrow against your stock portfolio for a lot less money than the generally than the bank charges Uh, But all that aside, how do you know when to sell? My advice would be you sell when the basic story has changed. In other words, you bought it because of this top manager. This guy at the top is a genius. Well, he leaves and you don't know anything about the people who are coming in or they don't have the same reputation. No reason to sell. Or they are selling off. The um, portion of their company that you thought was the best portion in it. Time to sell. In other words, when the original story changes, then you have to reevaluate if you still want to own this company or not. If you don't, that's the time to sell. But my advice for an investor is that you don't sell just because it went up. Now, here's another thing that I would suggest. If you have people who are um, basically, you know, they, they're just very jittery about the market and who isn't almost all the time. But I mean, in general, just very, very jittery right about now. Everything is up. Their stock is doubled, tripled, quadrupled, whatever. If they feel this way, they could take the step of selling just as much as they put into the stock. In other mm-hmm. words, your $10 stock is now 50. Okay, you put 10 in, take your $10 out and let the let the rest ride so that you at least feel that you have um, gotten out your original investment and yet you let the other stuff stay on the table and continue to work for you.
0: I like that advice. That feels really good. Very tangible.
2: (laughs) Doable, I hope.
0: (laughs) And what about the difference between, because I get this question a lot on the show, the difference between buying stocks, investing, investing in maybe my 401k or my IRA with, with mutual funds, and then ETFs are a thing. So how do we figure out these, these different buckets?
2: Oh, that's a good question because it, it is such a question now that there are so many different kinds of things, ways in which you can invest. My real favorite, and I followed it since they came out with their very first ETF many years ago. Um, I loved them from the start. Uh, when uh, ETFs first came out, Um, They were a single offering by Barclays Bank, and um, they had special uh, advantages for the institutional investor, and I was an institutional stockbroker at the time. Uh, Those special special things are are of, of no interest, really, to the individual investor. They still are in place, but they're of no interest. The individual now has the opportunity through, oh, Are there hundreds of ETFs? I mean, they have just exploded because you can buy a basket of stocks in the industry that you're interested in, but you're not particularly interested in finding a single company in that industry. But you can buy the whole industry uh, or uh, uh, the portion that you're interested in in a basket of stocks, and it is traded in real time. Now, what that means is that you don't have to wait until the market closes to get the price. And that's what happens with mutual funds. You have to wait until the end of the day and take that price for either the buy or the sell. Uh, With ETFs, they trade all day long. And furthermore, they're not managed. So you don't pay a management fee. You You buy them like you buy a stock. And you can, let's say at 11 o'clock in the morning, it hits um, 15. You can buy it at 15. You don't have to wait until the end of the day when it's priced at whatever price that might be, which could be considerably higher. Uh, So does that make sense? My my preference, my preference, I, I have a couple of mutual funds that I'm very fond of and that I believe in, but I, as you know, I can't give advice regulatory issues uh so i won't mention them but for in general i prefer etfs and i love individual companies as long as you have done the investor has done the research and has uh found um for instance your brother goes to work for the company and you want to you want to support him by buying stock? Great, good idea. Go to Value Line, look it up, find out if the price is attractive, find out if the business is what you matches your value system, and then do it. And That's a good reason for buying an individual stock. Uh, or you see a particular uh, company. I mean, here in New York, my lord, you see so much. Um, Construction going on, and uh, you see certain things that are used in every single construction site. And you might think to yourself, wow, that really looks like it's a growth stock. I'm going to go check it out. And you may or may not find that it is a growth stock that is publicly traded, which means you can buy it on the exchanges uh, or over the counter. Um, And so that's another reason for buying an individual stock. But without that kind of deep interest, in and, and time to do it do the research uh i would go with your etf
0: i like that advice that's great i, I want to talk about number seven okay. diversify uh i i feel like a lot of times uh we can look at our portfolio and say oh wait a minute <laughs> we <laughs> own way too much of one stock or we're not diversified. And a lot of people are curious, what does that even mean to be diversified? So tell us a little bit about the the seventh rule.
2: Well, uh, diversity in this particular case um, really means balancing your portfolio between those things you own and those things, those entities to whom you have loaned money. Um, and Uh, I have years ago, I always taught the four season portfolio, which I thought uh, would be easily understood when people realized that the seasons uh, would uh, of the uh, of our climate uh, would match the kind of things they should have in their portfolio. For example, spring is a perfect time for growth stocks uh, because things grow in the spring, you know, that the The climate is right, you know, with uh, warm days and cool nights, you get things that grow. So um, buying uh, uh, emerging companies or good companies that you've researched to follow that portion of your portfolio is a good idea. Um, and then you have summer. And summer is a time when things... Uh, Uh, you know, have come out of the ground and now you just are watching over them. This is the time for large, mature growth companies, the bigger companies, not the emerging companies that you might have bought for your spring portion. Uh, The fall is a time of great upheaval, as we know, and uncertainty, uncertainty about interest rates, about the future in every way, And for that, I think uh, convertible bonds and convertible stocks or convertible preferreds are very good things to have. And we won't go into the structure of those because it's a little confusing. We don't really have time, but something to uh, to consider for the fall. Um, Another thing uh, for winter, when you know nothing is growing and you just batten down the hatches and keep your head down, uh, for winter that's when you put your bonds, your fixed income. Something that's high quality, that's going to pay you interest no matter what. Uh, so that's my little quick explanation of the four-season portfolio, which I decided upon many, many years ago, but is, is how I sort of explain diversifying. Um, basically, it's really just uh, putting um, uh, uh, stocks and bonds in a balanced portfolio, meaning I don't know, 50% stocks, 50% bonds, uh, or 60-40, or whatever uh, your um, whatever your particular, uh, what would I say, um, your tranquility measure. <laughs> right. <laughs> How yeah. much risk do you want to undertake? Because, you know, anything in this area is risky, is, has a risk. I won't say it's risky. But everything bears a risk. Not investing is a huge risk.
0: Yes, I agree. I love that about the seasons. That is that is so cool. I've never heard that before.
2: I made it up,
0: <laughs> but it makes a lot of sense, and it suddenly adds some great, like shining light. I was like, okay, this makes sense. I love that. Good. <laughs> Good. So I, I'm curious if if you had some words of wisdom for your younger self someone who might be listening right now about the power investing or getting started investing or even just hanging in there with investing what would you what would you tell your younger self
2: i would tell my younger self to get a subscription to value line and to look at it regularly and to become familiar with it and uh to um use value line to direct you into your first investment or your, your you know where you want to put your money first in the investment world and then just get started and keep going
0: i like that that's great advice well we kind of jumped around a little bit of the seven rules i just wanted to tease it because i want to make sure that everybody picks up a copy of the book and really dives into it so so tell everyone where they can go to connect with you and to get a copy of the book, Stillskins Rules for Making Your Farthing. Am I saying that right? Farthing. Farthings grow. Farthings. farthings. There we go. Grow. Farthings grow. Yeah. It's also an English lesson. Yes. Oh, yes.
2: Well, it's on Amazon and Kindle, and I also recorded it for Audible.
0: Well, I have to admit, I got a really good education in understanding the PEG ratio from Susan and it's already changed how I'm looking at companies and how I'm thinking about investing. And Value Line, I totally forgot about them until Susan brought them up, but I just went over and checked out their site and they've got some great free educational videos and even a free seven day trial. So if that's something you're interested in, obviously Susan is giving it a very, very high plug. But I think Susan has this gift for making investing easy to understand. And I think it's, really brilliant to share these rules through fables and fairy tales that we already know because it's like, oh, okay, it suddenly makes sense. We're not talking about all of these terms and vocabulary that is confusing. It's okay, we we understand it through the fairy tale. So I I just think it's really brilliant. It just makes sense. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor. Share it with a friend and family member anyone who you know is really interested in investing And as always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guest, as well as our amazing episode sponsors who make this podcast possible. I'll see you right back here, same place in a few days for a brand new episode.
1: Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com, where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode.
3: Hi, this is Elton John here. Throughout my US tour last year, we heard from thousands of fans that financial security and financial planning are hugely important to them. So important that David and I are continuing this vital conversation into 2023. Together with the Alliance for Lifetime Income, I'm spreading the word about the importance of protected income, which is money you're guaranteed to get. Like me, I'm sure you have big plans for your next chapter. Protected income from an annuity helps ensure you have all your bases covered so you can have the financial freedom to tick off your bucket list. The first step is to decide what's on your bucket list. Then, meet with your financial advisor to ask if you have protected income and get their help making a plan that fits your unique financial goals. Join me and my friends at the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Together, we can help make financial freedom in retirement a reality for more Americans. Starting with you. Go to protectedincome.org today.